Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. In this podcast, we feature two featured storytellers intermixed with a community story slam. We are rebooting in our 12th season by returning to themes from our first season. Our storytellers share new stories inspired by the theme, Rebellion, Stories of You Say You Want a Revolution. Rise up. It's story time. Good evening, everybody. Story, story night again. Hooray. My name is Patty O'Hara. I am not your host tonight, but I will be introducing him shortly. But first, I want to plug something. Um, Let's see. Well, Story Story Studio. I am a Story Story Studio guide. And what a coincidence. We have a studio coming up exactly one week from tonight taking place here at Jump in the Loft Studio. It'll be from 6 to 8 p.m. And for more details on what you'll get out of that studio, besides coming up with a story idea, coming up with a a story flow, finding a way to land your story beautifully, and drumming up the courage to actually put your name in that wonderful slam box or submit a story for a feature, you'll develop some courage, even a little practice if you come to that studio. You can sign up by going to storystorynight.org and there's a link there where you can actually go in and get a little description, find out a little bit more about me, because it's all about me, right? (laughs) No, it's not. Not. But you can sign up, get your tickets to come to that studio, and I hope to see you from 6 to 8 p.m. next Tuesday. Rebellion. Uh, let's see. So you want to start a revolution. For example, <laughs> I mean, I, I have a one-minute story based on that theme. I'm thinking back to when I was 15 years old and... and so rebellious, I went to a Herman's Hermit concert against, yes, yes, against my parents' wishes. And because they were so angry with me, I showed them, I spoke Cockney for a whole week, <laughs> nonstop. Boy, was I rebellious, right? My brother's going to Janis Joplin and Dylan, and I'm, I'm home talking Peter Noonan. <laughs> But anyway, um, so I'll bet you have a story to tell based on rebellion. And if so, even if you haven't had the studio, put your name in that slam box back there because um, you'll have an opportunity to get up here and maybe tell your story. That would be so awesome. Okay, let's get, let's get started. I have the privilege of introducing your host tonight, Jody Eichelberger. Jody. <laughs> Thank you, Patty. Thank you. Now, this is a warning that if you come up here and tell a really good story, we might snatch you and make you part of our staff. Uh, That's kind of what happened with Patty. One of her most memorable stories, oh my gosh, she told a story about a Protestant birthday party, which we didn't realize was much different from Catholic birthday parties. But it was very different. There, um, There was sparks flying at that party. It was quite exciting. Welcome to Story Story Night. I want to thank our guests over here, Lane Watkins, Ian Sturrock, and Sven Knutsen. Thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for having us. This is such a fun event. When we were talking about you being here, one of the things we were 
speaking of, of course, with the idea of rebellion and revolution is the role of protest songs, right? Oh, yeah. And which you really responded to. What, um, how, what, how are protest songs a part of your experience as a musician or just as a human being? Well, the three of us work at a church. <laughs> and so That sounds very rebellious. We are so rebellious. But as you know, any, uh, any organization uh, can have the capacity for, mm, well, just a need for change. And so mm, I mm. think there's a piece of our roles as younger people. I'm 37. I'm 37. Yeah, you're younger than me. I'm 30. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um, part of our role is to... I don't know, continue to choose songs that we sing for other people in a otherwise, you know, holy space that move the needle towards justice, move the needle towards social justice, move the needle towards, I don't know, acceptance of all mm. uh, people. And so in our own like personal way, when you said the theme is rebellion, we're like, yes, we're going to do ACDC in church and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and it was. Awesome. <laughs> thank wow. you. Oh, well, thank you for being here tonight. I and mean, we're going to hear more from you at intermission. They've got a Ooh. special song plan for the top of the second act. We do. Which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. um, so we have some other people to thank. Of course, our season sponsor, which is Boise Group, who sponsor people, uh, well, 12 organizations, 12 nonprofits through the year each receive a sponsorship, and we are one of those people. But in addition to that, they also sponsor our show. So thank you to Boise Group. And I'm going to tell you about our, uh, <clears throat> what are we calling it, our rebellious show sponsor. I'm going to tell you about that a little bit later. Uh, the structure of our show is we are normally three featured storytellers intermixed with a community story slam. That's you. And to be part of the slam, which is a five-minute story uh, that happened to you, shared on the theme, you just go back to the story booth. I think that's Stacy back there, uh, waving her hand. You go back and you write your name on a little ticket and drop it in there. And during the show, we draw a name and you can come up here and share that story. If you start to run long, uh, I hope you have good peripheral vision, because what will happen is I will creep up out. I will, no, tonight is rebellion. I will rise up out of my chair, and I will make a stand that you need to end your story now. And then you can take your seat. Uh, but go back to the story booth and sign our um, civil rights form, <laughs> which uh, has more about taking your rights than it is about giving you rights. But, uh, you know, progress. Uh, I, it's interesting for me to be hosting this show tonight uh, because I am not good with rebellion. Um, I'm not a rebellious person by nature. Uh, I uh, have often joked about my Swiss-German ancestry and how uh, many of you who come to Story Story Night, oh, and I have to thank our story subscribers too who are here almost every show. Raise your hand if you're a story subscriber. Dave, I see you, thank you. Thank you, story subscribers. You can be one too by uh, texting four four. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> Story sub is the words. Text it to some number four 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 three two one. That's too many fours. Uh, it's on our website. 
<laughs> uh, and we're moving into our last show with Flagship, and then we'll move into our late night. Um, but uh, what was I talking about? Not being rebellious? Yeah. Uh, German Swiss. German ancestry. Swiss, thank you. Swiss German ancestry. Yeah. Mind like a Swiss clock right there. Sharp and quick. Yeah, so you may have noticed, particularly story scribers, uh, that our show starts at 7 o'clock on the dot, typically. And, and that's my fault. Uh, because, listen, people, I, get, I start getting sweaty. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I like comedy, but I swear to God, when I go to those comedy shows and it's supposed to start at 8 o'clock and it's 8.27 and no one has been at the mic, I just, my heart rate goes up, I start to get sweaty and I'm looking around, like when's it gonna begin, when's it gonna begin? And part of my laughter at the top of the show is just the whole tension and release because I've got so uptight in that 27 minutes that somebody gets up on stage and is like, welcome everybody. I'm like, oh, 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 oh thank goodness we're starting. Oh, gosh. I went to an LED show not too long ago, and they didn't start for 35 minutes past the time that it was supposed to start, and I was getting ready to lead a rebellion, I'll tell you right then. I don't know if that's a dance thing or not. Um, I, uh, I have a, uh, this is so bizarre that I feel like I have to talk about it. Uh, so our dear friend Bean, who is often a slammer here at Story Story Night, came up to me a few moments ago and said, uh, Jody, I have something for you, which is sometimes a good thing and sometimes a bad thing. Uh, but she opens her purse, I'm like, oh, what's this gonna be? And she pulls this out of her purse. And uh, what this is, is something I have not seen in probably at least 35 years, something like that. It's a one-act play Flattened Fluff and a One-Eared Rabbit by Jody Eichelberger. Uh, I wrote this my sophomore year. Stephen, I've got this thing going on again. I don't know what this, the mic is giving a rebellion. I don't know why this happens to me. It starts to sink. Well, it's people my age, apparently, this becomes an issue. Uh, there we go. So, this is a play in one hour. Whoa! Thank you, sir. This <laughs> uh, it's a play in one act for children's theater, and uh, apparently there was some grant or something that Boise High was uh, assembling some things, and there was no, I don't know what Bean's role was in this, putting this collection together, but she uh, lifted this and stole it, <laughs> put it in her purse. And what's really funny to me, so page 20, so the cast, okay. The cast is Ricky, Mother, Teddy, Belinda, Diz, Wrecker, Chamberlain, and Visitor. <clears throat> and on page 26, I'm, there is an uprising. Uh, Ricky has been running the kingdom, and uh, Teddy comes in and says, uh, uh, Sire, an army has destroyed the town below and is now attacking the castle. And Ricky's like, I had everything under control. What happened? What did I do? Lights dim to blackout. <laughs> so apparently there was some kind of uprising that happened in this uh, flattened fluff and a one-eared rabbit. Uh, I, uh, press, it's written on my uh, dot matrix printer, 
which I, I carefully apparently cut the pages to fit this, uh, what felt like a legitimate play uh, script size. Um, but it had no date on it, so it didn't make it into the, into the Boise High exhibit. Uh, so yeah, so I'm not very good at um, rebellion. I mean, there was a time where uh, having long hair as a man was rebellious. Uh, but I actually have this long hair as a result kind of of following rules, so that doesn't really work. Um, the first time I had long hair, I was in my 20s, and I, rem I lived in Portland, and I remember standing at a bus stop, and this guy, uh, I, I, the, the cover didn't really match the contents, I guess, because this guy came up to me at the bus stop, and he's like, hey, man. And I'm like, hey, long, flowing, black hair, hey. Oh, uh, you got any nickels or dimes? I'm like, yeah, let me see, yeah. Oh, I've got the quarters. I don't have any, I don't, uh, sorry, man, I've got a couple of dollar bills and then some quarters, no nickels and dimes. And he kind of looked at me like, huh, what's happening? <laughs> it wasn't until much later that apparently, that I learned that that's some kind of drug terminology. Uh, apparently you guys didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not, oh, you knew, all right. Okay. <laughs> After the show, you and I can meet up a, over in the foothills. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, long, so I, my long hair was not really any kind of, any kind of protest. Um, and, you know, I had some other thing, like I actively did not go to Tom Hanks movies for a while. Um, no particular reason, I just was, he just seemed like he was in a lot of movies. And I still haven't seen the one where he talks to a uh, volleyball. Castaway. Is it a volleyball? A soccer ball? Wilson. Castaway, you guys love that movie, wow. <laughs> I am, there's gonna be a rebellion in a moment right here. Oh, you're acting it out. Wilson! Wilson, yeah. Uh, but it is, you know, actively not seeing a movie, what this means is I would actually look up Lloyd Center times, uh, so again, this is my earlier time in Portland, uh, look up the times that the movie was playing at Lloyd Center and then I would not go. That's how you, that's how you do that. <laughs> I feel like I have to follow a recipe when I'm cooking uh, to now, I, I can rebel in one way. If it if it plugs their own brand, then you know, like you have to use pure cane, I don't know, CNH pure cane sugar or something. I am okay. Yeah, it's happening again, isn't it? I thought so. Uh, here we go. Let's try not to bruise my sternum. Uh, I can feel like I can substitute a different sugar in, uh, and that's okay. Uh, but if I vary from the, from the uh, recipe, I feel like it's not food anymore. Like somehow it's like, I can't eat this. It's, it's not right, it's not right. Um, I to but I told my parents, so around this time, because this is what I was doing in high school, I was writing one act plays for children's theater. Um, there's seven years between each, I'm the oldest and then I have two younger sisters and there's seven years between each of us. And so I was kind of already out of the house by the time my sisters were reaching teenage high school years. And I remember saying to my parents, now you guys, we need to have a talk. Uh, because I was not your normal teenager. Like, you gotta, you gotta be a little, lower your expectations for my sisters a little bit. 
uh, because they might be normal. They might like go out and see people. They might sneak out of the house even, like something crazy like that. They're probably not down on their Commodore 64 typing a one-act play for children's theater. So, so, so be a little gentle and uh, you know, don't, don't enforce on them the same things that you enforced on me. Uh, this show, I think, is going to be a little rebellious tonight. Uh, one, yeah, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be rebellious right now. I'm a, yeah, it's on now. Uh, yeah, look at me. I'm holding a handheld mic. I've left the, I've left the stand. Oh, I'm wearing this because uh, I think this is my most... Oh, thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> uh, underneath, the, first of all, this jacket, I'm wearing with a T-shirt. And a scarf instead of a tie. And I'm pretty sure this is my most rebellious t-shirt because what it is, it, it's a picture of a t-shirt on a t-shirt. <laughs> Some of you are just like, <laughs> mind blown, mind blown. Now. I already explained to you some of the rules of how, how this show works by you putting your name in the, in the, in the ticket booth, this, the story slam booth there. But I'm going to switch it up tonight. I'm going to try something a little new. And part of the reason I'm doing this is because just a few hours ago, <laughs> our first featured storyteller uh, notified me that he was sick. So you might not have gotten to hear about Flat and Fluff and the One-Eared Rabbit. Uh, so count your blessings. So what I'm going to do is I have the Story Story Night box office right here with little green lines for people who are present in the audience. And instead of, <laughs> some of you are going to get real terrified here in a moment, uh, I'm going to invite some person that I don't know to come up on stage and do an interview uh, with me. And, find out a little bit about you, uh, because that, we don't do that here at Story Story Night. Uh, that's against our rules. So we're going to break some rules. Now, here are some, here are some things that might make you feel a little better. The only names that are in this system are the people who bought the ticket. So, <laughs> however, if you bought the ticket and you don't want to come up here, and maybe you gave the Story Story Night ticket as a gift, uh, and that person might owe you. So you could choose to say, I'm not going up there, but you are. I mean, you could do that. You could do that. Uh, so if this is really horrible for you, you can turn it down. It's just going to make the show a little more dramatic. Um, let's see. Who shall we try? Uh, let's try a person who has, a, if I'm saying their last name correctly, it seems like a great person to get to know. Uh, because it appears as if their name is Mr. Human. Uh, is, the, is Peter Human in the audience and, and willing to come up here? Peter, are you willing to come up here? All right, come on Woo! up. Welcome, Peter. So you get to use the dangerous mic. Hopefully it... Uh, the sinking mic. The, the sinking mic, yeah. Uh, did I pronounce your name correctly? You did in America. 
Oh, how do you say it in your homeland? In Germany, it's Heumann, which is a farmer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, my last name is also German. Uh, it means people under a mountain of oaks. But that's the poetic version. It really means acorn people. <laughs> I, I switched it up. Yeah, my, mine means hey man, too. Hey, hey man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Awesome. And are you, is this a new event for you tonight, or have you been to Story Story Night a few times? My friend Sandra has been bringing me for about three years. Wow. And we love this. this oh, is wow. just awesome. Oh, wow. And we want to support it as much as we can. Oh. And you guys should, too, by dialing... <laughs> what's that number? 1-800-555-3642. Um, so, in that time, though, have you been up here to share a story before? I have never. Have you never thought of a story to share? I have stories. You have stories. All right. Stories. Okay. Just at, not you the just right gotta, moment. It just, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't make you rise up out of your seat until well, tonight. I'm a little shy. Yeah, okay, all right. And how about this theme, rebellion? Um, wh what does the word rebellion, what does that mean to you? Well, it can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. I mean, it's just, sometimes it's just going against the grain. Mm -hmm. I'm big on that. I like to go against the grain. Going against the grain. Yeah, so. uh, what is a time that you did that? Ooh. That is PG-13. And will not involve law enforcement coming after you. Yeah, I'm one who, in the right situation, won't take no for an answer. Uh -huh. So, consent, it, everyone, consent. That's not. I will take no for that answer. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. But I, I tend to get to, to have opportunities that others don't. Because the first time somebody says no, they may not really mean it. So, um, is this like in your career or in my career in in going out to have fun, whatever? Um, Winter Olympics, 1980. I got to see the gold medal hockey game. I didn't, I didn't have tickets. Wow, where was it? Lake Placid. Wow. So Miracle on Ice. You know, I was there. It was kind of fun. I was supposed to be outside, but, you know, I got tickets. How did you get in without tickets? Um, it what was just a matter happening out there? I don't know. We have a rebellion. Oh, okay, we're working on it. All right. Um, just so happened, it was a time where they were trying to, media was the message. There's a great book, Marshall McLuhan, Media is the Message. And they said, don't, don't come here. Don't come to Lake Placid. We don't have enough housing. We don't have enough this or that. And I went anyways, and uh, I got tickets for every event. You know, and they had massive bus lines. But if you went two buses over, there was no line. You got right in. So it's a matter of, I mean, maybe saying not taking no is not the right thing, but just looking for another opportunity. Sandra, and my wife and I, we went to see Elton John last year. We didn't have tickets. <laughs> it was sold out. This is in Boise? In Boise. We got floor seats. So night out. You know, you just have to put yourself out there for the opportunity. And sometimes it works. Uh, you didn't have to, like, stage a rebellion. 
you know. No rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> we walked up, we got tickets. I mean, it was, it was that simple because everybody said, oh, you'll be back at our party because you don't have tickets. When we came back, it was after the concert. So, you know, take every opportunity to try and get more out of life. Well, thanks for coming up and saying hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, that was all right. And you are awesome. Oh, thank you. You're just great, money Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Hey, that went okay. Maybe we're going to keep this, huh? That was cool. Gosh, I didn't get to see Elton John. Um, I didn't go. It's interesting that we have... Oh, I guess I don't need two mics, do I? It, it's interesting that we have both the words rebellion and revolution in the title, uh, because one of the things I come to understand is rebellion, it can, be, it can be successful or it might not be successful, but revolution is, in some terms, a rebellion that has, that has reached success. So we might hear some stories tonight about rebellions that have not yet succeeded, about rebellions that are on their way to success, or rebellions that became a revolution and have made real change. Um, I mentioned that I definitely don't think of myself as a good person to represent rebellion, but as the, so typically our show is a mixture of curated stories, people we reach out to, to share stories and people who write us at story at storystorynight.org, so any of you can do that, and say, hey, I've got a story I might be interesting to share. In tonight's case, uh, all of our storytellers are curated, uh, but in a rebellious sort of way, I actually wasn't the person who connected all of the storytellers, uh, which were three and are now two, uh, but I thought to myself, uh, huh, rebellion, and this also is a, is a theme from 2011, because we're rebooting as we came live at Jump Again. We plugged back in to the themes that were in our first season, which was in 2010, 2011 at the Linen Building. So I was thinking, rebellion, who in this community is a person that I see as somebody who, who fits that, who is a person who is making change and is uh, making their voice heard? And a person who I thought of um, is Ty Simpson, who's been doing, yes, yay Ty. So uh, I reached out to Ty and I said, hey, we're doing this show, Rebellion, Stories of You Want a Revolution. Are there other people you know that you would like to share the stage with? And Ty had some ideas. So we're breaking more rules here at Story Story Night. And instead of me bringing up the featured storytellers, I'm just gonna turn it over to Ty, and Ty is gonna take charge and let you know about our other featured storyteller tonight, uh, who is gonna start us off with our first featured story. Ty, welcome to Story Story Night. <laughs> Uh, I'm a boxer, so it's nice to have like walkout music too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. Tats kalawit, Beloitza kina, inamunikwas, atitwatit, siapwadinikwas, Ty Simpson. 
Um, I just cursed all of you. You can go home now. Uh, wouldn't it be great if... Sorry, that like, feels like I'm going to back up and trip over this. Um, wouldn't it be great if I just you know, gave our whole presentation tonight in Nimiputim, the language of the Nez Perce tribe? Um, that would be fun, right? Act of rebellion. Uh, in my language, I told you that my name is Ty Simpson. I'm happy to be here. Um, the last time I was on this stage, I was giving a TED Talk. Uh, let's see. I encourage you and invite you to go look that up. TEDx Boise 2019, shameless plug. Uh, and then the other piece to that, too, is um, I am somebody who is big on revolution and um, changing the world, doing better in the world, challenging folks to really change the way we treat each other. And uh, so the storytellers that I had uh, recruited are also folks in my beloved community who helped me to do that work. Um, so um, they are gonna give the first story, um, but really quick, I also wanted to share, you know what, I'm not gonna share that. We're not gonna do that. Again, rebellion, I do what I want. Uh, this is my land. Um, really quick, I know that, again, acts of rebellion, that uh, Jody may give you a land acknowledgement at the end. We do land back acknowledgements when you're indigenous. We wouldn't need land acknowledgements if y'all just give our land back. <laughs> different TED Talk for a different day. Um, and as part of that, I have left some QR codes in a couple of places where you can donate to the work of an indigenous-led organization working towards socio-political equality in Idaho, the Indigenous Idaho Alliance, another shameless plug. But if you see those when you're getting snacks and drinks, please take a look and please consider donating to the work. Um, and again, land acknowledgments. This is the land of the Niwa Numu people. I know that I have one of my relatives from those nations in the audience, so we're gonna clap for that person. <clears throat> And also, um, if you Venmo me, Venmo me the right amount of money, I'll tell you exactly how you can give our land back. You're welcome. Um, so going into our, our story, story night, our acts of rebellion and revolution, um, I do want to invite my uh, beloved community, best friend, homie, travel partner to the stage. Um, Dalton Dagondontigs uh, hails from the Philippines and uses they and them pronouns, and will bless this stage with a very powerful story and their powerful experience, and I'm very, very excited to share the stage with them this evening. Let's give them a round of applause. That's a lot of white people. <laughs> um, Thanks for having me, y'all. Um, before I tell my, well, this is still a part of my story, but context, because American education system has failed all of you <laughs> in letting you know what happens here and also internationally. Um, so in 1897, 100 years before I was born, the Philippines declares war against Spain, and we declare ourselves a nation independent of Spain. Spain was going through the Spanish-American War at that time, um, and then uh, we were sold after declaring ourselves independent and having already built the legislative systems that we wanted to rule under, and then we were sold for $1.1 million along with Guam and Puerto Rico to the United States. Pretty much looked the same 
uh, subjugation and rule, uh, but this time in English, uh, not in Spanish. <laughs> I write jokes for me. <laughs> Um, and then uh, in 1899, my people start another rebellion. This time, this rebellion was not successful. Over one million people die within six months of the campaign, or America's campaign against my people. And I share these two moments uh, in history because it's what destabilized my people. An example would be, during the American Revolution, my people died uh, of famine. But the Spanish had ruined our connection to land to be able to feed for ourselves. So it was one after the other, choose your own colonizer. <laughs> and <laughs> I promise I'll take this seriously. Uh, and then in 1941, uh, the, next thing w the next important thing is, uh, the Japanese invasion of the Philippines. Uh, very violent. Uh, again, also the Americans come and try to save us. I stay forever the white man's burden. And, <laughs> okay, I'll take this seriously. This time for real. But the most important part about 1941 is that it introduces capitalism to the Philippines. We were subject to, um, as uh, export for labor, um, as people and our resources was being stolen, and just like human labor is so cheap in the Philippines. A pause there, and then it starts with my grandmother. She's about 16 during the Japanese invasion, and her and her friends decide that they want to do something about it. So they lure all the Japanese men, or not all of them, because war. Uh, <laughs> they lure the Japanese men into the forest and jump from the canopies and then slit their throats uh, as to protect the island and land that they are on. That's the family I come from. Stay on your toes. <laughs> um, but let me tell you a little bit about my grandma. Um, my grandma is one of nine children. She is the eldest uh, of nine children, so she took care of her younger siblings as, uh, as uh, like a lot of brown and black people do around the world. <laughs> and then um, my grandma, also a rebellionist, was betrothed to somebody else uh, and then <laughs> decides on the day of the ceremony that she wanted to jump on the back of a horse with somebody else and get married. And that's my grandfather. <laughs> um, and then my grandma chooses to have, I like to think, chooses to have 11 children. That's a lot. <laughs> um, and then the ninth person, uh, the ninth baby that she has is my mother. Uh, my mother survives a lot of things. Uh, one of the things is polio. Um, even after getting the vaccine from being the white man's burden. <laughs> <laughs> Writing jokes for yourself is an act of rebellion. <laughs> um, and so uh, she is uh, made disabled uh, 
uh, not being able to move, not being able to like fend for herself because all four of her limbs were um, deformed. Um, another story for a different time, but somehow the ocean heals my mother. Um, and uh, it strains her relationship to her mom. Mom was competing for attention for, from 11 kids, but also the most favorite child uh, of her partner. Not healthy, of course. I don't want anybody to do that in their communities. And then um, it continues a line of violence uh, that was presented before us and what presented after us. My mom, is, um, my mom is not foreign to violence. Like She has scars uh, because she was chased by machete uh, with her mom. Um, she has scars because of her siblings. Um, these are very normal circumstances after a, post, after a country is colonized by two, three nations. My mom also lives with her brother who is very abusive, but she has so much love and admiration for. But he doesn't get the uh, opportunities to think about parenting, uh, but he only knows violence as a part of way taking care of people. And so, like, I'm not dissolving, like, I'm not trying to separate violence or the accountability from him in terms of violence. Um, it's just how colonialism and imperialism impacts uh, your families. And then one day, my mom begins to start feeling good. Uh, she's recovered three of the four limbs that she has, uh, and then wants to move outside of her home and move to the big city of Manila. Um, so she picks a fight <laughs> with both her mother and her brother, because that's the kind of mother she is, and I'm kind of similar. <laughs> Stay in your toes. <laughs> uh, and moves to the big city. Uh, she finds a very wealthy family. They give her opportunities to work uh, as first a domestic house worker or domestic worker, live in domestic worker, uh, so basically a maid. And um, Everything's fine for the first two years. She's this little girl, <laughs> she's 16, uh, and then she just like is fascinated by the city. She moves her way up uh, and starts to do clerical stuff for the, the wealthy family. One of those, um, one day, my mom is sexually assaulted by the child of the owner of the company. And it happens more than once. And that's how I come into this world. My mother had no one, and because she was very stubborn, didn't ask her family for help. Nobody believed my mom. Not her friends, not the people she was related to and lived in the city with her. And definitely not the sister of the person who sexually assaulted her. 
But then, a few months before she was about to give birth, uh, before her 21st birthday on June 9th, um, the sister of the person who sexually assaults my mom offers to buy me as a child so that I could be raised by a family with means to go through higher education and be successful. My mom <laughs> thought this was so offensive. She packs her stuff and then moves out of the home. She doesn't know how to pay for bills at this time. She goes to the hospital, has a baby on her own, passes out, and there's no one there when she wakes up uh, to help her support. She has to pawn her jewelry to be able to pay for the hospital bill because the hospital won't let you leave without the baby, or with the baby if you haven't paid your bill. Capitalism, I know. <laughs> and then two days after her 21st birthday on June 9th, I am born into this world. I was born to a single mom uh, who was very shunned at this time. It's very common for single moms at this point to commit suicide because it's very, very socially not acceptable to be without a man, a legacy of colonialism. And then my mom decides to bite the bullet <laughs> and she returns home. She doesn't tell her mom and Somehow, in the middle of a hurricane season, in a little boat, she finds her way back to our island, and she goes home and walks home five miles. She tells me, <laughs> anytime when I have to walk, um, <laughs> five miles to see her mom and live with her mom. Her mom welcomes her back. They start repairing their relationships, and I am a product of that. I am a product not only of violence, I am a product of my mom and her mom repairing violence, repairing harm and violence. She repairs her relationship with her brother, um, and then he starts doing his own little thing because he can't have children. The men in our family are cursed. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> um, and during that time, while she heals and um, restores her relationship to her brother and her mother, she was very honest in raising me, because uh, I noticed that I didn't have a dad and other people had dads. As a child of rape, you don't get a story told for you. I am not a product of two people who were very happy and made a baby. I am not a product of uh, two people who had too much tequila and had a happy accident. Those stories, stories of liberation, stories of rebellion aren't told of children of rape. No one tells stories of children of rape. And it is because that children, have, of, uh, children of rape have to tell stories themselves. No one else can tell this story but me. 
And so, some, uh, my mom marries an American. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he's great, great dad. She's passed on, um, adopts me, uh, takes us to Idaho. And then I just can't help thinking every time that, like, I try to explain my job to my grandmother. <laughs> There's not really translations between Bisaya and English to make that translation. Um, I also don't know what I'm doing <laughs> in my job. Um, but I can tell my grandmother one thing. I tell her I move and work and exist in the world so that I can move collectively, all of us, towards a world without violence. a world where everybody can thrive, a world where everybody eats, has everything they need to reach their fullest potential. So, the story ends here. My grandma would never, or like my great grandma would never know about me speaking in front of these people in a totally different language. She could not imagine this, despite being the beautiful soul that she was. I am a product of not just rape, I am a product of a rebellion, a continued sustained resistance to violence that my people experienced. And I hope that you will join me in this journey to move towards a world without violence so everyone can live and, be, uh, and reach their fullest potential. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dalton, for sharing that powerful story. True stories, live, told by the people who lived them. That's what we're doing here. Uh, you know, I am reminded, uh, we have another show that's called Starry Story Night. And during the pandemic, we had to go virtual with that, like we did with much of our other programming. but. One of the things that was really interesting about this particular show, which was called Libra, it was part of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Summit at Blue Sky at, at Boise State University. And it was a online seminar. And so the audience was watching the video, uh, but unlike our normal Story Story Night shows, there was a live chat bar on the side of the program, which was kind of fascinating to me because it was almost like at this show as if I could hear all of your thoughts as you were listening to the story, which had never happened before. Uh, and 
I hadn't thought of doing myself, like watching it, that I would be like, oh, I'm gonna comment on this. But there are people in this world who do think that way. And so there were lots of comments on the side. And there was one, we started getting a thread happening that was about uh, content warnings, trigger warnings, um, which is, is not something that is common to our program. Uh, and I'm just gonna say a little bit about that because what was happening in this thread, these people were talking about, whoa, whoa, we could have used a warning about this, we could have used a warning about this. And someone finally said, but th this is what happened, this is this person's story. Like, this is what happened to them. This is a part of their life. Like, you, and I feel like um, I wasn't, I'm not going to go into this, but I did watch a part of the Oscars uh, recently, and I came to realize that we have forgotten a little bit about how to be an audience as well. And a part of being an audience is, I think, being, being okay with being uncomfortable. And, and that we don't have to uh, feel totally at home with every story that we hear, that there are things that need to be processed and maybe need to be processed later. Now, there is a legitimate reason for a content warning for people who have, for instance, experienced uh, violence in their life and it does something to them physiologically that they can't control, and I respect that. And those people have probably become very good at taking care of themselves, and so I understand that. But I do feel like, and, and maybe this is my hope for our Story Story Night audience, that we understand that those content warnings are not about us avoiding things that make us feel uncomfortable. Uh, or, or a way to avoid a part of someone else's life that we don't understand or can't relate to. Um, so um, we're going to hear more stories tonight that that may apply to. Um, but I also do want to bring up a slammer before we go to our break. And the rules with this are that it's five minutes, that it's on a theme. Uh, uh, well, this theme. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a theme, although it's rebellion, so I don't know. Uh, it should be a personal story, something that happened to you. If you shared a slam at our last show, we, uh, it might be too late for this, but we ask that you didn't put your name in um, to give other people a chance. And then as an audience, it's appropriate to clap. I think it's appropriate to cheer. Uh, I think it's appropriate to not clap and sit silently. Um, but I don't, I don't, and, and this is just me as the host, I don't appreciate the audience booing um, or offering negative vocals. If you want to sit quietly and, and let your silence speak to what you, how you related to or appreciated the story, that's okay with me. Uh, but I would prefer that, uh, that we are, that we hear people's stories and, you know, let, let it be. Uh, all right, so. Let's, yeah, let's draw from our, oh, all right, Ty is gonna help us out here. Oh, and we even have a drum roll, almost. It's a, it's a kind of a drum roll. David Lee. David Lee. All right. And David Lee is a regular storyteller at Story Story Night. Uh, he's going to have a little help getting here. Do we also want to um, 
stool for him, maybe? Can we steal yours? Can I tell a funny story while we're helping him up? Um, so Dalton mentioned, uh, you know, a happy-go-lucky story of, um, you know, happy accidents of babies being born. I have a niece who's nine years old, and it's because my brother can't hold his tequila. And uh, she was definitely a one-night stand baby. And she loves to tell that story. It's really funny. Like, you're like, hey, how'd your dad and mom meet? Well, they can't drink tequila. It's really cute. Um, but, but I love to hear that story shared in other places. She's beautiful and like a mini-me, all sass and rage. Um, but we like to share that story in the world. And I love that Dalton shared that with y'all, too. That's great. Um, I gave a... Um, I was in Storyfort last week a couple of times. And thanks. <laughs> it was really hard. I didn't want to be there. I was having an out-of-body experience. And um, I did uh, a session called Dear White People. And it's exactly what you would expect. <laughs> I dragged everybody. Um, but I didn't give a content or a trigger warning in that either. Because um, I've learned in my 20 years of living in Idaho that just my existence as a black and indigenous woman is triggering to white folks. So um, I invite you to chill with that. Um, but uh, uh, that was just my funny story in addition and rebellious interlude while we got David up here. So we'll pass it on to David. Thanks, y'all. Rebellion. Rebellion takes a lot of energy, which I don't have right now. But those of you who might have followed my stories over the last few years, you know I've been fighting rebellion against terminal disease, which takes a lot of energy in itself. That's a hard, hard thing to take on by yourself. And I specifically want to call out part of my fellow warriors in that, in that battle, my friends from St. Luke's Elks Neuro Rehab. Amber Beale, my occupational therapist. Abby Linford, my, my physical therapist. I want to shout out for all of them, folks. Thank you. <laughs> I suppose if I really want to be rebellious, I could drain this cat bag right here. I don't, I'm not going to do that. OK, that's all I have for tonight. Thank you, folks. Thank you, David, and um, thank you for bringing your friends from your support group from St. Luke's to join at Story Story Night. David is, yes, thank you. <laughs> David has been an important part of Story Story Night for many, many years, and it's going to be a part of his legacy, the stories that he has shared. One of his stories which has turned into a musical, and um, 
It was called Page One of Two, which was about the, re the reports that he would receive each year about the brain tumor. And um, the, you can find all those stories on our website and at soundcloud.com. Um, I'm going to read our sponsor message here. The Boise Group is part of a housing revolution in Boise. Oh, see, they're getting very clever with our themes. We are a small, I actually wrote that. We are a small, <laughs> carefully curated group of deeply experienced real estate agents who live and work in Boise's most Boise neighborhoods. We are serving the world's greatest clients and rebel against doing anything less than delivering exceptional professional real estate skills in a 100% Boise style. Thank you, Boise Group. We are having another enthusiastic chair, okay. Uh, we are having another Story Story Studio, as Patty mentioned, on April 5th from 6 to 8 here at Jump with our studio guide, Patty O'Hara. An opportunity for you to explore putting together a story from your life. Maybe it's something you might even share as a slammer in our stage at a future show. You can find a link to register for $20 on our website, storystorynight.org. And now we're going to take a short break for you to refill your drinks or take a look at the sunset off the back patio. Uh, and we'll start again in about 10 minutes and continue with our featured storyteller, Ty Simpson. Thank you. All right, welcome back to Act Two. Lane Watkins, and I'll just say in Friends, everybody. I'm a very good friend. <laughs> Lane Watkins very and Friends. Very talented friend. It's not, the, it's not the church music I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Very, Thanks, Jody. Very revolutionary. Uh, we're going to actually start our second act with a feature song from our trio here. And I believe, let's see, the title of the song is Here Comes the Change. Yeah. Did I get it right? Yeah. Well, here it comes, everybody. Here comes the change. Thank you. Some of the revolution has to do with knowing what fits best for you. So, this is a song from a great movie about a great woman. Here we go. One day I'll be gone. The world will keep turning. And I hope I leave this place better than I found it. Oh, it's hard, I know it's hard to be the lightning in the dark. Hold on tight, you'll be alright. You know it's time. Here Oh, hold on tight, we'll be 
Just so there's no confusion, this song is not about my story at the bus stop where someone's asking me for nickels and dimes. It's a different kind right? of change. Different kind of change. It's like a more important more change. More important change. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, that song, it was a movie that was about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a powerful woman right there. Thank you for that. And uh, Sven, we've had a question about your instrument. Tell, what, what, what are you playing? This is a box. Oh. <laughs> it's got a hole. It, and it's got a hole on the back. It's called a cajon. Cajon. Okay. C-A-J-O-N. So when uh, indigenous people were oppressed by colonizers, their indigenous instruments were not allowed to be played, so they hollowed out logs to make drums, and that's what this instrument is based off of, a cajon. Resilience, yes. All right. Well, that's very cool. All right. Thank you for that. Um, I also forgot to mention another item in my clothing that is rebellious, and that is, ladies and gentlemen, that I am wearing pleated pants in 2022. Hello. <laughs> I did not know these were in my closet, and I'm not even sure who they belong to, but I put them on. Let's, uh, let's start with a slammer. It's a long way back there, and it's not too late for any of you to add your name to the slam, but go ahead and bring that slammer box down here, and we will start off with uh, someone's story of rebellion or revolution. Remember, it's your story. Ty, thank you. You're just right in there. She has drawn these names. She's a I'm a Capricorn. Hey! I don't know what we just did. I'm December. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, ben Redman? Ben. Ben's coming up to share a story. <laughs> this is your theme song tonight, Ben. He's not even going to use the stairs. That's how rebellious he is. He's going to just climb right up on stage. All right, you know the drill. Five minutes, and it's your story. Go. How you guys doing tonight? Yeah, you know, me and my buddies climbed up a really steep hill one day. And, you know, we got on a, a paraglider. And, you know, we got on the harness and we tried taking off. But the wind kept coming, kept blowing us back. 
said, no, we got, we got to take off. We walked all the way up here. And I ate all, I did not just eat all those granola bars for nothing. <laughs> so we lifted up again, tried to take off again. Wind blowed us back again. Couldn't get up. Well, did that for about 45 minutes. Said, so you know what? We're going to go home and we're going to build a motor. And we're going to attach it to the harness. And we're going to come back and then we're going to really take off. Well, got a whole bunch of parts. We started building it. And then while we were building it, got a really, 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 really special turbo. We put it in there. We built it and we went back up to that mountain. We took off. We started freaking out. Started going a lot faster than we wanted to, and we flew a lot higher than we wanted to. Then we really started freaking out, because uh, we're not pilots. <laughs> well, you know, we're up there, and you know, I was with my buddy, and you know, I mean, we just got to thinking, you know, these people, you guys are the greatest things that exist in the entirety of the universe. And, you know, of course, you wouldn't know that because here we are. We have all this pressure and we have all these expectations and we have all this, everything that being here asks of us. You know, we have people who wear suits and ties and goes into buildings and says what we can or cannot do. You know, everything. And I just want to say, you guys are kicking ass every time you wake up in the morning. You know, you guys are just kicking ass every time you wake up in the morning because just look at this place. Really, just look at this place. And you know what? If you guys had a hard time in the past, or if you guys are having a hard time in any way, if you guys are broken in any way, if you guys are hard time, anything that's going on, anything, just be happy for it, because you guys are just, that all that's just gonna turn into strength forever. And you know, just be happy every second of every day, you know, don't get, don't, don't even with this place, guys. This is not our home. This is just a war zone. And you know, rebellion, rebellion. Well, if you look back all throughout history, you know, this place has never been right. This place, really think about, has this place ever been right? There's always been people hurting people. And, you know, I need you guys' help because for the first time in all times, we're going to build a world that's right. A place where things are right.
Things have never been right in this world ever. For the first time in all time, this place is going to be our home, not a war zone. A place where we can go down the road and not have someone hurt us who is flashing lights because they put up signs, you know? All of it. All of it. Don't, eat, don't ever let this place get you guys. Just be happy. You know, just be excited, guys. Be excited because, you know, we're all going to party together. But hey, I love you guys. And yeah, just be excited. I love you guys. Ben, Ben, how did you get down out of the sky, though? Oh, I didn't talk about Did you that. crash, or what? You know, how did you land? It was a long story. You crashed, didn't you? You would not believe me if I told you. Oh. But... We did crash. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> oh, okay. I did mention how uh, that's burying the lead a little bit there, I think they say in journalism. Uh, the, uh, I also buried a lead uh, when I told you about Ty and, and how excited I am to have her as part of Story Story tonight. Uh, because one of the things that it says when you go to the, um, uh, use the QR code to travel to the world of Ty Simpson, uh, one of the things you learn is that her name translates as the storyteller. So, I mean, how long did we wait to have the storyteller come to our stage? Ladies and gentlemen, Ty Simpson. Thank you. Uh, Ty doesn't mean the storyteller. Atit watit in my language means the storyteller. I always try to, I always try to uh, clarify that for you. Um, she and I were sister cousins, and not in that like creepy Appalachian hillbilly way, but like, <laughs> like the deep ancestral indigenous way. We share uh, her grandmother and my grandmother are sisters. We share moms, we were raised together as cousins and as siblings and sister cousins. Um, and she was the favorite. God, I couldn't stand that shit. Um, I mean, but I, here's what happened. Like, so she gets to like live on the res and be with our grams all the time. And I didn't get to do that. I, I lived in Chicago and Singapore and I lived in all these really cool places around the world. I only spent the occasional holiday in my summers with my grams. She got them all the time, all year long. Still can't stand that heifer. Um, as the favorite, I mean, she was celebrated for her really long, gorgeous, beautiful black hair and her bright smile and her round, beautiful cheeks. And, and she always got the best hand-me-downs, right? Um, in a tribe and in our indigenous community, hand-me-downs aren't about toys or like old furniture or old clothes. I'm talking about the hand-me-downs that have survived generations of genocide, of displacement, of settler colonialism. It is the, the hand-me-downs that are our brain-tanned, smoked buckskin hide, the beads, the handful of beads that we traded entire horse herds for. She had those dresses, the softest buckskin, the smell of smoke, these old glassy beads that told the story of our rape and of our violence and of our pain. 
but they're beautiful. Beautiful, intricately done artwork that tells the story of our women, of our matriarchy, of Nimi Puha'ayet, Nez Perce women. She was the favorite. She got that beadwork and those dresses and that beautiful woven basket hat. I didn't, I got, you know, like, I mean, my stuff is pretty cool, but not that cool. <laughs> um, even her name, our names are hand-me-downs, past generation to generation. Inim wunitwas atitwatit, nunim wunitwas, wet kuis. Her name is wet kuis. She who returns from a far land. Her name was incredible. I was hella jealous, the hella envious cousin. And we would spend a lot of time with each other at like Sweat and at Pow Wow during the summer. And at Sweat House, like she would sit next to her gram and then my gram would plop my ass in the dirty girl's corner of the Sweat House. The corner reserved for the girls who smell like colonizers. Yo. <laughs> And I still sit in that corner, to be completely honest. I live in Boise, Idaho, let's be serious. Um, and my mom makes sure that I sit in that corner. Um, it had been a really long time since I had seen her. Too long, I think. It was a early November morning, and the community had gathered together, and we were telling stories about her and how she had moved upriver and was taking care of her family, raising a bonus kid, taking care of uh, his grandparents, working in a bar. And in that bar, she used to tell jokes and give advice, but never take her own advice. It had been too long since I had seen her. Stories of her in the bar were much to the chagrin of our gram. I could kind of feel her cringe as I sat next to her. But don't get it twisted, my gram was ratchet too. Like she used to spend her time at like uh, Pendleton Roundup, y'all been to Pendleton Roundup, and she used to like pickpocket cowboys. <laughs> yeah. And that was back when, that was back when the rodeo purse was cash, y'all. <laughs> That's who I'm from, descendant. <laughs> uh, she was so positive and joyful. She was just the most amazing young woman and we were so happy to celebrate her. She was a language keeper. Of course she was a language keeper, because she was the favorite. She was raised by her gram, and her gram was a language keeper. And that was just another reason for me to be jealous and envious, to be raised by our matriarch, a walking, talking encyclopedia of our language and of our land and of our culture. We heard another story that day, one of my favorite stories, actually, of our uncle who wrote a song for her for Pow Wow. Of course she got a song, of course she's the favorite. But she um, couldn't, she always got confused at Pow Wow. She didn't know if she wanted to dance or if she wanted to sing. So because my uncle is who he is and because she's the favorite, he would sing it twice in one Pow Wow, which is unheard of. Once so she could dance and once so she could sing with him. Must be nice to be the favorite. <laughs> it had been too long since I had seen her. Uh, that morning, she was bright as usual, her beautiful long black eyelashes fanning her cheeks, her beautiful long black hair tucked under a tuchmal, or grandma scarf as we call it in my language. Again, wearing her beautiful hand-me-downs. The smell of smoked hide mixed with cedar, mixed with flowers. 
But on that morning, we viewed in horror cuts and bruises on her face, a bruise the size of a fist under her right eye. A perfect imprint of a bruise the size of a hand on her neck where she was strangled. Cuts and bruises on her own hands, a way of her showing us that she rebelled against the violence that took her life. She rebelled, and we didn't help her. None of us helped her. Our Graham made sure that we all saw 1,500 Nimipu to token, 1,500 Nez Perce people idling slowly by that beautiful cedar box with her beautiful hand-me-down buckskin dress. Our Graham made sure that we saw rebelling against the cultural norm around shame and silence. She showed us loudly what it looks like to fight, to love, to be in a place of desperation. She showed us what rebellion looks like. The sorrow of my sister cousin's journey caused a stroke in our Graham. And she took her own journey only two months later. Only a few cold mornings after my birthday, she too was laid in her hand-me-downs. Beautiful old glass beads, tiny bells, smoked buckskin hide. Each of us unpacked our hand-me-downs, generations old, dresses and fringe, feathers. And we sang seven songs on seven drums for seven rounds, rebelling against the night as we sang her warrior song and journeyed her home. This Graham was one of several matriarchs in my family each of them ancestors now, each of them telling a powerful story with the life that they lived. And in those stories, showing me how I can use their experiences with violence to put an end to it in my own community and in my own life. I fly to Coeur d'Alene next week to testify at a sentencing hearing in federal court. My sister cousin's perpetrator is being sentenced there and it is a really horrible opportunity for my people to grasp violently at revenge, hold on to their pain and to their anger and put it somewhere and put it on someone. My people demand violence in response to violence because for centuries that's all we've ever known in the face of settler colonialism. We have known no other way. But I choose rebellion. I 
choose healing, I choose humanity, and I choose life because that's what wet cooies would have wanted. And that's what our Graham would have wanted. Rejuvenating old ways. Who were we before all we knew was violence? He chose to use violence. Violence is a symptom of pain, and pain is a symptom of trauma, and our trauma is the fallout of settler colonialism, and I choose rebellion against it. Rebellion in life or in death is to hold humanity. It is to choose or nurture or create circumstances that allow for forgiveness and healing and truth and justice and love. So in that statement next week, when I stand in front of a federal justice, I will tell them this story and how we loved her and how I was jealous of her magic. I will tell them, and in the same deep kinship that makes her and I sister cousins, I will tell her about the deep kinship that makes her gram my gram and vice versa, that that deep kinship is the same thing that connects me to him also. It was an act of rebellion for wet cooies to fight back, and I'm proud of her for it. It was an act of rebellion for Graham to show us, to show the whole community what it looks like if we're complacent in the face of violence. And it will be my act of defiance and rebellion to champion for his life, for his healing, for her justice, for his justice, and for our collective revolution towards a world without violence. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ty. We're gonna break some more rules here tonight. Um, the way a show sponsor usually works is it's uh, a an organization or uh, an individual or a group that pays money to Story Story Night in order for us to read this little sponsor message and put their logo on our website and it supports our programming. Tonight we're gonna reverse that and instead uh, Story Story Night is going to be giving money to another organization. I'm not sure this is, makes good business sense, uh, it, and maybe is not the way we're going to continue to do sponsorships. So, if you, I don't want to suddenly get a bunch of emails with people volunteering to be show sponsors because this may not stick. This is for rebellion, okay? Um, so, here is the show sponsor message, uh, the rebellion show sponsor message. Indigenous Idaho Alliance is part of the resistance against oppressive political and social systems that adversely affect the indigenous nations in Idaho and neighboring states. We use a lens of decolonization to build and empower community while tirelessly advocating for the land, justice, and equity for our people. Donate at PayPal, IdahoIndigenousAlliance at gmail.com or using Venmo 
at Indigenous Idaho Alliance. And I think also the cards that are out on the tables out here with the QR codes can lead you to some of that as well. Uh, so we're going to thank our Rebellion Show sponsor and um, this is a organization that's important to Ty and um, we we're so grateful for her sharing tonight that we wanted to do this too. So thank you, Indigenous Idaho Alliance. Acts of rebellion, I just take over the mic. Um, I think it's important to add that part of the work at the Indigenous Idaho Alliance and then also at the um, Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and, Sexual and Domestic Violence, uh, where Dalton and I both work, um, is to address and interrupt miss the crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, my sister cousin uh, was a victim of murder, of course, and uh, on some reservations, murder is uh, 10 times higher uh, the rate than the national average. Um, many of our young women will endure sexual and domestic violence, sexual violence specifically, before the age of 14. And um, we are really trying to interrupt that work by providing to survivors, looking for lost loved ones. So that's kind of the nutshell version around missing and murdered indigenous people that we do at both organizations. And then specifically the Indigenous Idaho Alliance because we have to serve those families in real time. Um, last week we lost a couple of loved ones in the state, so the work is tireless and endless, and so I appreciate the support. Thank you. All right, let's bling, 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 black that bl slammer box. Uh, up to the stage, we're going to choose some slammers to take us out this evening. We'll see how we how many we can fit in uh, with their stories of rebellion. Oh, Dalton has taken it this time. Thank you, Dalton. I have a Laura H. Laura H. Hello. <laughs> Here she comes. I was in college. I was in the Honors College, something I was very proud of, and I had managed to move away from both my parents, who lived in Idaho. I went to uh, Washington State University, which, as many of you know, is just a short eight miles away from Idaho, so, you know, just enough rebellion to say that I went out of state, but not enough to actually be far away. <laughs> I met her in a writing class. I've always been about the word. I'm very passionate and very picky about the word, which is why I became an editor. Makes sense, right? And frankly, I hated everything she wrote. And she hated everything that I wrote, so it was fine. <laughs> we argued in class all the time. To the point where I think our teacher was about oh, I don't know, five seconds away from giving us a permanent red card on speaking in class because we were both so sick of each other and all the other classmates were so sick of us <laughs> that we had spoken enough for more than one semester. But what I liked about her 
was that she challenged me. I was picky, I had strong opinions. And she did too. And we started to encounter each other on other areas of campus, not just class, but the writing center where we both ended up working. And the more I learned about her, the more I really wasn't you know, into her whole thing. She was uh, from southern central Washington, Bickleton. If anybody knows Bickleton, I will, oh my gosh, one person knows, oh my gosh. Were you one of the 15 people that lived there? Okay, all right, whew, I was like, whew. <sighs> she was deeply religious. She had long, dark hair, braided. She was already engaged. She was a freshman and already engaged. And me, a young, queer woman who had railed against religion and its role in my family, and the role of conservatism in a destructive way in my family, I was like, okay, well, you don't like my writing. Well, I don't like your politics or your writing either. But I like that she listened. And when I managed to rein in my reactivity and explain to her not only why that sentence was fucking perfect, step off, but also <laughs> why it hurt so much that our last president was elected, for example, she listened to me. And I listened to her, too. I, I really tried my best to understand why it was so important to her to get married young for that approval from her family, why it was so important to her to continue to going to church and developing that, developing that relationship. And though every bone in both of our bodies, and I am 100% sure she would agree, <laughs> told us that we shouldn't be friends, that we shouldn't come together in any other circumstance, we probably wouldn't have, actually. We did. We were the best of friends. When she got pregnant, I was the first one she told. When she and her husband started having problems, she came to me. When I had my first major breakup, she was the one I called. And when her first son was born, I was the one who sat next to her and held her hand and told her that even though the delivery was rough, it was gonna be okay. I think we both rebelled against our instincts to seek approval from the groups that we belong to. We rebelled against this sort of historical reenactment of what came before you know, as both of our speakers have already spoken about tonight. We realized the strength in each other and instead of making us rivals, we decided to come together. And she's still my best friend today. I don't know what I would do without her, actually. <laughs> She has two kids now. I miss the delivery of the second one, which I deeply regret. 
but I still fed her kid ice cream for the first time, so I'm obviously the coolest god mother, clearly, right? And I know that we're gonna be in each other's lives forever. As we continue moving forward after the world has been crippled by the pandemic and the economy in some ways, I hope that every one of you have a chance to stop. And before you make a decision, ask yourself whether you're reenacting a historical pattern that comes easily to you, that comes instinctively to you, that makes you feel safe, that holds back the loneliness. And instead, I hope you choose something that makes the whole community stronger, not just your little tribe. Something that builds a better community, that builds a better understanding of not just Idaho, but the world, not just English, but all the global languages. Because I learned a lot from her. She made me a better person. And I think we can all do that for each other. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe it was a little bit of a rebellion when I left Idaho to go to school also. I, didn't go, I went to a bordering state. I went to Portland. But it was um, much later that I was in New York, and <laughs> I'm in an improv class. And I was reminded of like trying to leave my Idaho roots and wanting to get away from the stereotypes. I always got so irritated when people would ask me about Idaho with really stupid questions about whether we had power and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I'm in this improv class and they're asking, okay, let's talk about your background. And I so wanted me being from Idaho to not have anything to do with potatoes or farming or, cause I would just, I didn't want that, somehow I don't know, I didn't want that to be my identity. And so they're asking me about like, well, what was your first job? <sighs> I mounted temperature control panels for potato and onion storage. <laughs> ah, all right, okay, okay. And where did your family live? What street did they live on? And my family, uh, going back, were farmers in CUNA, which I understand translates as cow town. So I was not able to rebel very well at all in terms of getting away from having, well, and the potatoes are still, aren't those potatoes growing in that purple room over there? Is that, yeah, so they're still, the potatoes, there, you can see them right out the window, folks, where <laughs> I still can't get away from the potatoes. I do love eating potatoes. And I love drawing slammer names, so bring us the slammer box. Well, I'm not even drawing them. I don't have to do this tonight. You guys are doing a great job. Dalton, are you going again? Again? Yeah, Ty went twice, I think. Good. You're good? Okay. Ty, okay, all right, all right, we're working it out. Okay. <laughs> Natalia has the box. Yeah. Yeah, so if you already told the story and you didn't go back to the booth to sign the release, please do that. Anika? Annika. 
Oh, Annika. Welcome, Annika. That sounds like a Dutch name. Is that Dutch? Oh, you don't know. I think it's Dutch. I'll just well, tell you. I'll, I'll start telling people that it's yeah, Dutch. Tell them it's yeah. Dutch. Hi, my name is Annika. I want to tell a story about my grandfather who was named Rob Twilliger. Um, my parents, growing up, my mom has been a nurse at St. Luke's for 25 years. She is badass. Um, and when I was a kid, she worked in labor and delivery, and so she worked like most of the time 11 to 11. Um, and my dad worked building services at St. Luke's. They both have worked at St. Luke's for a very long time. Very proud of them. Um, and he worked like 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. And so during the summers or anytime we weren't with my parents, we'd go to my grandfather's house. And um, he was just like, he was kind of like a third parent because we spent so much time with him. And I think this is probably a very common experience for people with grandparents is you get really close to them and, and they're like a parent to you. And I ended up just being super close with him. And um, when I was 12, I remember my parents sitting us down and telling us that he had been diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. And obviously this was heartbreaking. And I remember when you're, when you're 12, you don't really know what stage four means. And I remember going on like some, it's not the World Health Organization, but some online website that told me, showed us a spreadsheet of the survival rates for esophageal cancer. And it was like stage one, two, three, four. And the, the chart showed how many, what percent of people live for five years after their diagnosis. And for stage four, people, only 3% of people live after five years. So I remember being 12 and seeing that and just not being able to process that my best friend and the, the person that was my parent was going to die. Um, and, and this story is about something that gives me a lot of like gratitude for the person that he was after his death. Um, and I, so something that was very important for the context of the story is that my grandfather was extremely political. He loved talking about politics. Um, and I remember we would go on these walks on the Greenbelt almost every day with his friends from high school, Jerry and Kenny, and they would talk politics the entire time. And us, me and my siblings would just be like, you guys, like, let's play, let's have fun. And they just wanted to talk about whatever was going on in politics. And another thing that's important to the story is my grandfather was, before I was born, he was confined to a wheelchair for most of the time. He was able to walk with crutches, but it was very painful for him because shortly before my older sister was born, he was at work. I think he, I'm not really sure, I think he worked construction and he lifted a door and it did a lot of damage to his back and he ended up having screws and metal plates in his back for the remainder of his life. Um, and I remember like one of the acts of rebellion that we had was when we would go on these green belt walks with him and his friends. At some point, one of my siblings discovered that there was a little platform on the back of his battery powered wheelchair that we could stand on. And we started like doing this thing where we would stand on the back of his motorized wheelchair and ride around. And he thought it was the funniest shit ever. Like he just thought, cause there's something hilarious about, yeah, like a 60 year old man pulling up with like a five year old riding on the back of his wheelchair. Um, so I, I remember that very fondly. And I remember uh, when I was 12 and he had already been diagnosed, we went to Costco with my younger sibling and it was me and my grandpa and my sibling. And we were leaving Costco and he was in his wheelchair and uh, he, we were like approaching his van, his wheelchair lift van, and it had a bumper sticker on it. This was in 2014 or 2013, and the sticker said, I'm ready for Hillary. And this man, in, uh, he was a veteran, he had a veteran's hat on, and he offered kindly to help my grandfather and I um, and my sibling load his groceries in the car. And he starts loading our groceries in with my grandfather, and then he sees the bumper sticker, and he said, you're ready for Hillary? 
you're gonna get about as much help from Hillary as you're gonna get from me. And then he left my grandfather and us in the parking lot alone. Uh, so that was, I guess, his act of rebellion. And I don't even remember what happened. I was just like, you're, you're 12, but you know what's going on. And my grandpa was just like, okay, whatever. Um, and laughed it off like he did. And, and I think, you know, that was just like one of those things that was like, damn, yeah, this person is, first of all, needs help because of his disability and is also, the man didn't know, but is dying of cancer. And that little act of kindness was so kind. And I, I loved that last story because it was about like, you know, talking to people that you wouldn't usually talk to. And I think that that was one of those instances where people could have just been kind to each other. Um, but that's not what this is about. What this all kind of culminates to is my, my mother's act of rebellion that followed my grandfather's death, which was, again, yeah, he was a very political person. He loved talking politics. Every time we went over to his house, he had some news station playing. And after he died, my mom and my uncle went to the mortuary to go fill out his um, death certificate and get all of his things in order, get his urn and whatnot. And my mom came home and she had the biggest smile on her face. And I was like, you just went and like got all your things in order for your dead father, why are you so happy? Um, and she told me it was because when you fill out a death certificate, they give you the option to list somebody's job. And my grandfather, because of his disability, had not been employed since I had, he'd never been employed, like since I was born. Um, and so they realized that it's not really like, you don't have to put a job, it's kind of just for statistic purposes. Um, but they decided to list his occupation as a political analyst. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was my mom's really awesome act of rebellion that gives me a lot of gratitude for her and for my grandfather and for, yeah, these memories of, of him and, and all the ways that she and him rebelled. And, and I just love that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Annika. And I've heard that uh, those rides that she took on the back of her grandfather's motorized uh, wheelchair were the original prototype of a lime and bird um, <laughs> scooters. So we've come a long ways. Uh, let's do one more slammer. How about one more slammer? I know they're busy back there. Can you send that box up this way? You're so far away tonight. So far away. Chariots of fire. Ty's coming back up to do the honors for the Boise group box. <laughs> Is it in Greek? <laughs> Bean? Bean! Yes, Bean who brought me my play tonight. Bean, you've got the last, the last slammer slot for rebellion. Stories of you say you want a revolution. I, I can imagine you had to pick which story you were gonna share. <laughs> Thanks. Um, in 1978, I worked in the ER at St. Luke's, and we had a pretty strict Driscoll. Uh, dress code back then. We wore white dresses, we wore white pants, we wore white shoes. And I had these pair of white Nike tennis shoes. And one day, the 
uh, supervisor, Hannah Turney, which could scare the shit out of many nurses. And you better have a good excuse when you called in sick. And Renee, the um, assistant head nurse, called me into this little coffee shop that used to be on the first floor. And they said, we're uh, concerned about your shoes. I said, why? They're white. Well, they're not in dress code. Well, they're white. Well, but they got that red thing on the side. Well, I had to painstakingly take that red whoosh off the side and had a little pinpoint design the entire time I wore that. But Hannah said, well, you know, it's just that once there's a one brick out of the wall, the rest is history. <laughs> January 19, uh, excuse me, January 2017, I went to the Women's March in Washington, D.C. with my sister Christy, her daughter Amanda, Amanda's grandmother and aunt on her dad's side, and a dear friend of Christy's from junior high. So we represented Idaho, Washington, Montana, Connecticut, and New York. And it felt like a worldwide rebellion. I mean, all of us marching and listening and doing anything. And we stayed an extra day, and we were at um, the Lincoln Memorial. And there was still lots of, lots of pink hats there. And pretty soon, somebody started uh, telling me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. And we're chanting. And then there's one guy that did not want to know what democracy looked like, <laughs> started maniacally screaming at us and just running back and forth. And we're like, oh, we're trying to get out of here. And so we think, and just as we're leaving, the Capitol Police came and they closed the Lincoln Memorial. I don't know if I really want that as, as something that I've done, closing the Lincoln Memorial. It's a beautiful place. But when I got home, one thing that was empowered of us and to us was, call your members of Congress, call your members of Congress. So I got home, I started calling my members of Congress regularly. In my phone, under Congress, has Rish, Simpson, Crapo. And I go down the line, and I, and I call them. And a couple of them, particularly Rish's office, they try to cut me off. And I'm like, I'm not done yet. You might not like what I'm saying, but it's your job to listen to me. Let me back up. So my sister Christy says, you got to be on some FBI list. You know? <laughs> they probably see your name when it comes on. They're like, oh, I don't want to talk to her. No, it's your turn. No, she yells at me. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to be on some FBI's list, at least most annoying. And I'm so proud of it. Thank you. Well, we're going to uh, close out our night with a Story Story Night theme song. And I'm, I'm thinking about culture. And, you know, part of my culture is a little cheesy. Uh, I guess I need to own that. And I got to participate in a big part of my culture. I feel like this last Friday, I think it was, when I was at the Carol Burnett show at the Morrison Center. 
and she sang the very end of her show to the audience along with herself from several years ago. And we wrote a little ditty at the end of this that's playing now. That's I, it's my Carol Burnett moment for Story Story Night. So that's coming up. Story, here's uh, Ty can give me some notes on this. Stories come from the land as well as its people, and I want to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the Shoshone Bannock people. Story Story Night is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We also receive funding from the Boise City Department of Arts and History. Remember, you can listen to podcasts from all our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or go to storystorynight.org and click on podcasts. I'm going to have to do a lot of editing on that uh, this time to get rid of the shits and everything, uh, including that one. Thank you to our crew, technical director, podcast engineer, Stephen Baldessari. Thank you to our musicians tonight, Lane Watkins, Ian Sturick, and Sven Knutsen. Thank you to our storytellers, Ty Simpson and Dalton Dagenjohn Steves. Thank you to our photographer, Chelsea Harada, our volunteer coordinator, Natalia DiGiosia, our board of directors, our story subscribers, our camera operator, Stan Carey, and Story Story Night. Story Story Goodnight, beginning, middle, now, at the end. Authentic, inspiring, spontaneous. So thank you. You shared your stories and you really listened. I might have come here as a stranger. But now I'm leaving as a friend. Carol Burnett can't sing that low, y'all. And so the stories never end. Good night, everybody. See you next month for Growing Pains Stories of Rites of Passage. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to see the storytellers, in addition to hearing them, this entire show is available on the Story Story Night YouTube channel. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Story Story Night receives support from the Boise Arts and History Department and is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, and our season sponsor, The Boise Group. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Have a story? Call the storyline at 208-917-1970 and leave a message. Please subscribe to Story Story Night on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcast. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.